Welcome to the Bruce Siski Show. Follow the Bruce Siski Show on Twitter to interact anytime. Got something on your mind? You can text Bruce during the show by using the short code 84454. You're listening to the Bruce Siski Show on 610 and FM 103.9 KDAL. 10-11, it's a Tuesday, 18th day of July, 2023, Bruce Siski Show on KDA. All good to have you along as we talk some soccer here off the top of the radio show today. And there's plenty to get to as the Women's World Cup will be underway less than 48 hours from now. Australia and New Zealand, the site this year, joining us as we preview and talk some soccer from theathletic.com. Jeff Reuter, good morning. Good morning. How are things? They're good. Uh, actually, I was just reading a great piece on SodaSoccer.com about the rivalry between Duluth FC and Minneapolis City FC, um, which uh, they play a little game uh, this evening. So, uh, good one to read about the uh, the local boys. Uh, recommend everyone checks it out at SodaSoccer.com. That is the I'm in, I'm in a mentality. That 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 is the uh, Minnesota Super Cup, if I'm not mistaken, right? That's right. Uh, looks like they're playing for a spot in the semifinal. Yeah, so it's a it's a big matchup. Not not league rivals anymore, but at least they have a cup that they can beat each other up over on the field. So should be a good one. Well, and Duluth after what happened on Saturday, I'm sure uh, a little a little uh, maybe a little burr in the saddle tonight. We'll find out. But uh, tough tough <laughs> loss for them in the in the NPSL North Division final on Saturday. I don't know the last time I watched a soccer match where a, a team had three players sent off, but that happened to Duluth on Saturday. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's usually something you say for like a World Cup semifinal where there's just so much on the line that emotions get the best of every player. But, I mean, hey, that's the MPSL North, right? Uh, same, uh, same intensity, same sort of hostility, and arguably a little more animosity towards one another. So uh, only in Minnesota soccer, baby. That's right. Yeah, the intensity just gets ratcheted up a little bit for these in-state matchups. Uh, Women's World Cup, is your uh, is your body clock adjusted to allow for all these weird start times? <laughs> no, but that's fine. I've, I've just accepted that that's my fate at this point. I will have some really weird decisions to make about whether or not I push it to stay awake until 2 in the morning or if it's better for me to try to catch a nap at 7 against my body's better wishes. So. Uh, you know what? It'll be okay. <laughs> I think. I think it'll be okay. The uh, the one story I've got. So the twenty. This had to have been the twenty eighteen, I guess, Winter Olympics, right? Uh, John Schuster is in the curling gold medal matchup, and so NBC yeah, is showing. But- they're showing the curling at weird times, but the curling is happening live at like two o'clock in the morning, and we were in Kalamazoo, Michigan, for UMD hockey. So, so there's three of us in the Duluth media contingent, and we made the de- four of us. We made the decision: we are going to stay up and we're going to watch this Friday night, Saturday morning curling match. And this, we ended up sitting in a hotel room to watch it, which means you can't make a lot of noise. And Schuster makes an incredible shot to clinch the gold medal in the eighth end, and we're trying not to scream our heads off. And then I'm trying to sleep like immediately afterwards because it was four o'clock in the morning. Oh, yeah, that's. Uh... That's going to be my life, for sure. I mean, it's just like, and, and there's part of it that's fun, right? Because you're in the moment, you're like, when else would I be doing this? Especially in Kalamazoo, right? Like, right. There's just something about it that's pretty novel, but at the same point, the next two days, you're like, do we really need to do this? But, yeah, it's the... you know, we, uh, we, we, 
it's for the best that we don't host every single sporting event in the world in the United States just for our sanity. So uh, I guess that's the trade-off. The U.S. has won two in a row. Uh, they are favored to win a third. How heavy is the U.S. favored in this Women's World Cup, Jeff? Uh, it's much more balanced than the past few years, Bruce. I, I think that when you look at 2015, it was more of a redeem team sort of feel to it after losing in 2011 and 2007. And, and I think that when you look at the um, – you know the, the the great team in 2019. That was um, that felt inevitable, right? Like it was going to have to be injuries, tournaments, oddities, like yellow card suspensions and the like. That was really going to keep that team off its game, even if they were facing against the home nation of France. But but this time there's been a lot of nations that have made some strides. There isn't that same sort of U.S. versus the world feel that you had four years ago. Uh, I mean, there's a, there's a really deep field of teams in Europe that have been building towards this moment england won the euros last summer and they've got a point to prove france is going to want to make amends after last uh you know the last world cup where they lost on home soil in the quarterfinal germany is arguably the deepest and healthiest roster in the tournament uh, with a really really strong domestic league to pull from and then you've got spain as well that plays a lot you know that that kind of free-flowing passing style that you see on the men's side that sometimes uh, you tear your hair out because they don't score goals but they just play some lovely stuff otherwise um, you know, and so you've, you've got some talent there. You've got Canada coming off winning the Olympics. They've had some turmoil with their federation, but they're going to have a lot that they want to achieve here. Um, I mean, you're looking at the host nation, uh, especially Australia. You know, they've, they've got the talent where they can make a good run to the quarterfinal, semifinal, and from there anything can happen. And then Brazil has a really talented roster too. So, uh, depth, depth of the field, which only makes for an even better tournament if there isn't that sort of like, oh, okay, well, if the favorite doesn't win, then you know they failed. Instead, there is actually scenarios where the United States women's national team does not win the World Cup, but they still have a mighty fine showing in the process. Jeff Ruder of The Athletic is our guest. You mentioned the turmoil in Canada. What can you tell us about that for those that haven't been keeping track on, on what's going on with our, our friends north of the border? The men's World Cup team just had you know made that run, got into the tournament last uh, this past November, and the women have always been very good. Yeah, they've, uh, they've they've had some serious issues where they, they they kind of didn't expect the rapid growth of interest in the sport, and so they, they the federation basically signed rights deals and training, um, you know, a lot of deals that essentially took serious cuts from how much revenue would be left for not just the federation to run soccer tournaments and send players to training camps and all these things, but actually did really cut into their ability. Um, to uh, operate at a high level and pay players. And, and that's ultimately what it's going to come down to for players, is if my paychecks aren't clearing, if I'm not getting what's owed to me, I'm going to make a fuck about it. And, you know, there, there is uh, a serious uh, question about how well that Federation Canada Soccer is going to be able to run itself and going to be able to sustain itself. Um, they're locked into some of these rights deals for another five, six, seven years. Uh, so the men and the women will play in another World Cup each. Um, as the men are guaranteed qualification due to co-hosting the tournament. And uh, it's just, it's kind of a mess. It's one of those things that you often see with, you know, uh, football nations or soccer nations that aren't going to be competing at a high level. So it's like, okay, well, any money we get, we can just kind of spread the love in order to get some front-end kickback. Um, and instead, they're, they're really, really hurting. Players aren't training in uh, quality conditions. Players aren't getting the compensation that they're owed. And, um yeah, it's, it's a really unfortunate series for a team that should be seen as one of the favorites in this tournament, but instead enters with you know their heads turned towards their livelihoods. 
Jeff Ruder of The Athletic. We're talking soccer. The U.S. side, uh, Megan Rapino announcing this is her, her last season. The, the NWSL season wraps up. She is done. It's been a tremendous career, one of the greats of all time. And, you know, her legacy is pretty much set, but what would it mean to, to her legacy in this sport to hoist that trophy one more time? Yeah, I mean, it would be uh, – I, I, I'm sure that she would prefer not to retire not winning a World Cup in her final season, right? And and I think that for the last four years, it wasn't really a question of whether or not she'd be able to uh, sustain her level. It'd be about what, how many minutes she would be able to achieve at that high level. And I think at this point you would expect that up to 45 minutes in a World Cup setting every single game she would be okay for. So she'll probably be coming off the bench in this tournament. Um but really, there isn't much more that Megan Rapino needs to achieve to cement her legacy, like you said, win two World Cups, um, you know, become one of the most recognizable soccer players in the world of any gender, um, you know, being such a, a key figure towards that, uh, that, that collective bargaining agreement that achieved equal pay for the men and women off prize money, which will be kicking in with this tournament. So the prize money that was earned by the men reaching around the 16 and the prize money for whatever the women do will be pulled together and divvied up equally. So... Um, you know, it's a pretty good, pretty good legacy for her to leave. Uh, certainly one of the most um, influential players in recent memory, again, of any gender. And, uh, yeah, I would, I would imagine that they're pretty determined to send her off on a high note. So uh, we'll see if they'll be able to do it. Who are some of the young players that we need to watch for on this U.S. team as we continue to see this kind of next generation rising up? Yeah, there's, uh, there's two main headliners in that group. There's, uh, you know, on the attacking side, there's Sophia Smith, who's kind of the future. She'll inherit the mantle of striker that Abby Wambach passed over to Alex Morgan. Um, you know, just a fantastic player, likes to play with the ball at her feet, so she's going to dribble in, cut around a player or two, and then set up her own shot, which is always fun to see, too. She'll likely be playing on the left wing um, with Rapino on the bench behind her, uh, and then Alex Morgan starting as striker. And then uh, in defense, the, the, the best defender that the U.S. has is uh, the reigning NWSL Defender of the Year and the reigning NWSL Rookie of the Year, Naomi Gurma, 22-year-old, plays for San Diego, came through Stanford, left-footed, um, can do a little bit of everything wise beyond her years, um, go with the ball at her feet, and you know, just, just a really good personality, kind of a level-headed but easygoing with a smile sort of figure that generally does make for a, a good defender. You actually do need that sort of a level head in order to be able to you know, get through a tournament like this. So uh, those two will play big and big moments. It's the first teenager to get called up to the United States since the 90s. Um, for a World Cup, Alyssa Thompson, who will be coming off the bench a lot along the forward line. Trinity Rodman is also part of that kind of next wave of great players. Um, plays on the right wing, scored a couple of goals in the send-off game against Wales, can do just a little bit of everything, too. So there are some fun young players uh, who will certainly be featuring this year and for tournaments to come that uh, should already make their mark uh, pretty much from start. Jeff, a lot of times you get into these tournaments and health becomes a factor, the ability of players to, to stay healthy over the course of, of, of a, a month-long grind. This is a difficult tournament, it's, and like you said, a more balanced tournament. But the U.S., Jeff, this team's already been impacted by health, correct? Yeah, there's, there's some several. Uh, there are several key players who are missing. Um, you know, uh, Becky Towerbrun, the captain and the center back, the leader of the last couple teams, is gone. Abby Dahlkemper, her center back partner in 2019, is injured with a back injury. Uh, Mallory Swanson was arguably the best attacker, attacker in the world from when 22 became 23 and then uh, suffered a torn patellar tendon in a, a scrimmage against Ireland in April. Um, Katarina Macario is one of the best young creative midfielders in the world, just got signed by Chelsea, but she couldn't come off an ACL in time. Sam Ewis was a starter in the World Cup final in 2019. She wasn't able to recover in time. So 
Yeah, it's, uh, it says a lot about the U.S. Women's National Team player pool that I, you can rattle off the better half of an all-world starting 11 and still say, yeah, the United States is going to be one of the favorites in this tournament. But uh, make no mistake, that, that sort of thing, while it does create a lot of good opportunities for other players to kind of prove what they can do, um, it, it will be felt as you get into the knockouts and you don't have some of those truly upper echelon players available. If you are looking to watch the Women's World Cup, Fox and Fox Sports 1 will have all the matches. Uh, the U.S.'s first game is 8 p.m. Friday on Fox versus Vietnam. Jeff, as we make our way back here, uh, men's side, MLS, Minnesota United, another non-win on, home, on the home pitch on Saturday, a 1-1 draw, but against LAFC, a very good team in a match that I thought Minnesota had the better of. It, it, it feels like a recurring theme that you can't finish these matches off, but at the on the other side of things it does feel like there are some reasons to think this can get going in the right direction yeah it it i think for the first time yeah this is something that you and i talked about i remember over the last couple of years where from 2017 to 2018 there was progress forward darwin Quintero comes in right team looks better 2019 big step forward you got vito minone you've got roman metanair uh ozzy alonzo Michael para all these guys who come in and raise the level defensively so they look like an actual soccer team right <laughs> 2020 they make that run to the western conference final 2021 they arguably look as good but they just can't quite you know pull everything together in time for the playoffs but it, it still looks like they were still vaguely trending in the right direction and i think last year was the first time it didn't seem like that was the case it really seemed like they stagnated they weren't making improvements year over year players weren't improving players were getting hurt players look frustrated um but finally, finally, that sort of like stagnation or decline finally looks like it's been snapped. And, and part of it is the return of Emmanuel Reynoso, who has been the best player in Major League Soccer ever since he returned mm -hmm. at the start of June. Um, that's not even just me being a homer hyperbole guy. Like, uh, no player in Major League Soccer comes close to creating as many chances and taking as many shots on target as he does per 90. He averages a full additional chance or shot for 90 minutes than any other player in Major League Soccer who starts regularly. He's only two players who scored more goals since he's returned. Uh, Alan Polito, striker for Mexico, and then old friend Christian Ramirez, funny enough, at the Columbus crew. Um, and now he has an actual running mate, Timo Puki, who is a Premier League starter, played for Norwich. A little bit of a regression candidate, you know, after last year. Certainly age started to come catch up with him, but he certainly looked good against Houston midweek, scored a fantastic goal where he ran onto the ball um, that was played into him by Reynoso. So they've already got that connection going. And, yeah, it, it just really does seem like finally they're starting to get things together. The Western Conference is wide open this season. There isn't really that same sort of front runner and obvious hierarchy of power. So there is spot for them still to, you know, sneak in and get a top-four finish in the regular season. So um, good signs, good signs. But they need to turn those draws into wins. They need to turn those losses into draws and you know, in no time, they should be looking at a, a better place on the table over these final dozen or so games after the League's Cup. By no means do I think it's easy to score a goal off a corner kick, but Minnesota United in his last two home matches has had 27 corner kicks and has scored one goal off of those 27 corner kicks. It's it's not easy, but it's not that hard, right? Well, I mean, so so it's getting increasingly hard. We had this pendulum swing moment after the 2018 World Cup when England scored over and over off set pieces and teams are like, wait a minute, maybe we should have coaches who are dedicated <laughs> to drawing up set pieces, right? Like, which, which sounds so obvious to an American sports fan where it's like, yeah, no doubt. Like, they have throw-in plays on uh, basketball. You have all these sort of sequences in American football. Like, of course you're going to do this, right? But finally the world got the idea in 2018. 
And in the last two years, the world's also gotten the idea that maybe we can have specialists to stop teams from using those set pieces. So you're seeing a little bit of give and take with that. But part of it is also that Minnesota just isn't a team that is built with obvious aerial threats. They don't have, you know, tall midfielders who can get on the end of it. Their center back, Michael Boxel, is probably the only one that I would rate to regularly get on the end, although Mickey Tobias has shown a little bit of an ability. But neither of them are Ico Parra by any stretch. And then at striker, Timo Pukki is more of a finesse guy. And uh, they don't really have that alternative, that you know, six foot two, six foot three guy who's going to be muffling off like Zlatan Ibrahimovic and being able to just kind of knock him in with ease. So, uh, you know, there, there are alternative methods you can do. If fans hate the short corner kick where you just kind of pass it to a guy and you recirculate, but sometimes that's a better way to set up your shot or actually work at central before you take that next pass in. So there's a couple of things that they could do, but yeah, it's, uh, it's bleak. <laughs> it, I think it, it often looks. I actually wrote a piece about this for the Athletic in 2019 when I was on the beat about you know they took like 13 corners in a game and only got one shot off of it, and you can just kind of see the the sort of lost you know complete loss of idea on it. And of course, they're still the same coaching staff, so there might be some continuity with that, but. Um, yeah, it is certainly an area of weakness for this team. Finishing up with Jeff Reuter of TheAthletic.com on soccer. Jeff, uh, the league's cup, what is it and why should I care? Uh, yeah, you're asking the wrong guy, but I'll give you a try anyway. Um, <laughs> so the league's cup is a tournament that's new this season. It involves uh, every single team from Major League Soccer and every single team from Liga MX in Mexico. Um, who are pushing pause on their actual seasons in the middle of their seasons to play a little turn of group stage and knockout phase tournament. Um, the, the prize, there's some money, but mostly the prize is to get spots in the CONCACAF Champions League, um, which they were already qualifying for in mass anyway, given their previous <laughs> setup of the tournament, which did greatly favor the two best leagues in the region. Um, the group stage for Minnesota United involved Puebla and the Chicago Fire, um, I got to be completely honest with you. I'm going to be prioritizing all my energy towards the Women's World Cup and Lionel Messi and a couple of other things instead of covering this tournament. Um, I think it's it's a nebulous concept that's kind of trying to tap into the fact that fans want to understand Mexico's league better in MLS and vice versa. Um, I think that the two leagues are just trying to work together a little bit more often ahead of the 2026 Men's World Cup, which will be co-hosted by the two nations and Canada. So, um, if you like soccer, it's a tournament of soccer with notable <laughs> players that you've heard of who are playing each other at the same time at a much more reasonable kickoff time than a lot of these Women's World Cup games are. That is the best sales pitch I can give you. I'm still going to be paying far more attention to the World Cup. Is that is that is that part of the timing? Is that they're they're pausing during the World Cup because the World Cup's going on? They're going to try this in in the midst of it anyway. I, I just don't. I don't uh, understand I, why you're pausing a season for a month. It, it, that that just escapes making sense to me. Yeah, you and me both. And and I've gotten absolutely zero inclination to think that there was anything good-hearted about this in terms of the timing with the, regards to the Women's World Cup. Um, I, I think that they they've just decided that they're going to take it on head on and that they're going to feel like they have a better chance given the times of kickoffs and all these sorts of things. But uh, yeah, it. Uh, it looks pretty cynical to me. I'm not going to lie. But, um, you know, it's in motion. It's going to be kicking off. Uh, Lionel Messi will make his debut in this fake tournament that just got created this year, and that's kind of a shame if you ask me. So um, it is what it is. 
I don't know. All I know is that on the, on the day that Tamu Puki was introduced as a member of Minnesota United, I went on Apple TV and bought the rest of the season for 40 bucks or whatever it cost me. So nice. uh, they, yeah. they, they, they did suck me in by finding a player off my second favorite English soccer team, Norwich City, that, a guy that I actually recognize. I know who that guy is. I've watched him play. And so I decided I, I would watch Minnesota United a little more as a result. So I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm glad that you waited because uh, I think that you would have been asking for your money back if you'd watched the first half of this season. So, <laughs> From what um, I've read, I agree. Probably for the best. Yeah, I think I'm with you. <laughs> uh, Jeff's at theathletic.com. Read his stuff there. Subscribe today. Thank you as always, sir. Absolutely. All right, take care. Jeff Reuter, The Athletic, theathletic.com. We talk soccer, Women's World Cup again. The first match is at 2 a.m. Thursday. I, I don't make the start times. And again, this is in a foreign country. What are you going to do? Uh, New Zealand versus Norway. And then at 5 a.m., the other co-host, Australia, will take on Ireland. 9.30 p.m. on Thursday, Nigeria versus Canada. The U.S. opens up Friday night, 8 o'clock. Its first match of group play will come against Vietnam. There you go. 10.31. We'll break. We'll come back. More to come. Bruce Siski Show, Tuesday morning, 6.10 103.9 KDAL. Your Twin Ports home for Twins baseball. In the corner. Goal! KDAL. 10.36. Run through some headlines coming up in a little bit. Baseball more. Vikings apparently unveiling some throwbacks, and they're not the only ones today <laughs> unveiling special uniforms in the NFL. Must be like a special day for it. I have no idea. Although training camps are opening up for some teams today, so I guess we're close enough that put it top of mind for people. All that to come and more. CBS News update first, 1037 our time on KDAL. The Bruce Siski Show. You could say that 10,000 times and it still wouldn't be enough. It fires me up, man. I love it. Say it one more time. Shake and bake! <laughs> Does that feel good? Yeah, it rhymes. They're both verbs. On 610 and FM 103.9 KDAL. 1042, it's Tuesday morning. Great to have you with us. Tomorrow, Matthew Collar, Purple Insider. We'll talk about the wonderful Netflix series quarterback and the featuring there of Vikings QB Kirk Cousins. Apparently, we have throwback uniforms the Vikings are unveiling today. We'll talk about that. We'll preview training camp. It'll be, a, I think, a pretty interesting conversation, as always, with Matthew Collar, who's got a book coming out uh, later on this year. I'm going to grab... The release date, it's called Football's a Numbers Game, Pro Football Focus and How a Data-Driven Approach Shook Up the Sport. And I want to say that Matthew told me this book is coming out early October. I think that was the plan. Late September, early October, I think, was the plan for that book. But I'm looking forward to that. And uh, we'll talk more about that on the radio show with Matthew Collar, Purple Insider. That'll be uh, tomorrow morning at approximately 10.10. Looking forward to that conversation. All right, so baseball from uh, yesterday. Uh, by the way, uh mentioned the throwback thing. So here's the deal with uh, what we know about what the Vikings are doing today. Already today, the Browns have announced uh, special alternate jerseys, all white with white helmets that I think actually... <laughs> Be honest, I think they're kind of cool. I'm not going to lie. 
Uh, that was announced this morning. The Seattle Seahawks have teased uh, some sort of a throwback look. Going back to their 80s uniforms, I believe, is what they've been teasing on their social media the last 24 hours or so. I'm assuming we'll hear something more about that. In fact, tomorrow we're going to hear about it. Eight, they say 8.32 a.m. tomorrow we're going to find out. That's Pacific time, so about 10.30 our time uh, tomorrow morning. But uh, they're doing the throwback as well. And the Vikings put an email out last week to season ticket holders inviting them to a virtual Q&A at noon today with C.J. Ham and Fran Tarkenton. So we've kind of been doing some sleuthing about this. I know uh, bringmethenews.com has uh, brought up some ideas on this. I had seen this last week and thought, well, this has to be a throwback announcement because they're – it's a virtual Q&A with the promise of a special announcement. Well, unless that special announcement is something really lame, like we're going to do free tickets for a preseason game, which I don't think that's the case. C.J. Ham got a contract extension last offseason, so I doubt they're gathering the season ticket holders to a virtual Q&A to announce that C.J. Ham is reworking his contract. That doesn't make any sense. I doubt C.J. Ham is retiring. That also doesn't make a lot of sense because why would Fran Targenton be on the call? So it comes back to the idea of throwback jerseys and probably something going back to the original purple and white jerseys that Targenton and the Vikings wore at the team's inception in the 1960s. So it's interesting. To be perfectly honest, it's very interesting. to st- and, I, and frankly... I'm somebody who is not exactly a huge fan of the Vikings' current look. I like the bat helmets. I don't like the rest of it. I don't like the gold numbers that they do on the purple jerseys once or twice a year. I don't like the the font they use for the numbers and the letters on the jersey. There's just not much about their current uniform outside of the helmet that I like. Their old look, classic, it's awesome. And I I don't know why they ever changed it in the first place. So if they're going back to that for one or two home games, I'm all for it. The other uh, thing that I saw, I think it was Bringing the News, had this idea that, and and I begged for this last year when they did the whiteout game, that they should have white helmets, but I don't think that's the case. We'll see. Uh, Finding out at noon today, uh, Vikings uh, announcing something of some description. The the Buccaneers going back to the creamsicle, which is tremendous. The Eagles are going back to their old Kelly Greens, which are fantastic. The Seahawks are doing something. So it looks like the Vikings are going to do something as well. Uh, For the Packers, I believe that that 1950s with the green jersey and the gold numbers and the plain helmets, I think that's still a thing for a home game this season, if I'm not mistaken. But frankly, I wouldn't mind if the Packers did all white for a home game with white helmets. I think that would look fantastic as well, but uh, nothing on the horizon for that. Uh, Baseball Mariners beat the Twins 7-6. This was a weird game. Sonny Gray was cruising through four innings, and this one, it all fell apart in the fifth. And, again, it's kind of like that Tigers game from I forget how long ago maybe a month now it all starts to run together right uh that thursday night game with the tigers after they swept the brewers it's been about a month uh and they 
you know, Gray comes out in that game, and there was some hard contact early, but he settled in. And then the fourth inning happened, and he lost all semblance of control. And that's when he got lifted. He got mad at Rocco because Rocco took him out of the game early. The reality was he couldn't find home plate with a searchlight. And they didn't want to take a chance that he was going to completely fall apart on him. Well, last night, bullpen had been a little bit stretched against Oakland. Grace cruising through four. Fifth inning starts, and here comes trouble for Sonny Gray in the bottom of the fifth. It started innocently, ground out, within a, a double, a walk, a hit batsman, a base hit drives in a run, bases loaded. Gray gets a pop out from J.P. Crawford, two out, bases loaded, 2-1 game, and Gray walks Julio Rodriguez on six pitches, and the four balls were not close to the strike zone. That walks in a run, ties the game. Then Jerry Kalenic comes up and bloops a 69-mile-an-hour shot off the bat that gets uh, down in front of Joey Gallo, scores two runs, Mariners lead 4-2. Then Gray had a wild pitch to drive in a run of the 4-3 game in the bottom half of the sixth. That was it for him. Eugenio Suarez homers off Oliver Ortega in the seventh to make it a 7-3 game. Max Kepler, a three-run home run at the top of the ninth, but then the Twins did not generate another base runner, and they fall 7-6. And it's with Sonny Gray, I, I like Sonny Gray. He's going on 34. He's a free agent at the end of the year, and I've seen a lot of people commenting, well, they should just trade him and get something for him. Take a, take a step back, and let's understand how baseball works because it's a little different, right? Like in hockey – you got a guy that's going to be a free agent. You have a middling team that you don't think can make noise in the playoffs. I could understand why you would trade that player and get something for him because if you lose if you lose that player in free agency, you get nothing. In baseball, the Twins qualify Sonny Gray. He leaves in free agency. The Twins get a high compensatory draft pick, a, a sandwich pick between the first and second rounds. That player is a probably coming in as a better prospect than anybody the Twins are going to get in a Sunny Gray trade at the trade deadline. So please do keep that in mind. The Twins are still, for all their faults, leading the AL Central by a game and a half. I don't think it's necessarily good business to cut bait on Sunny Gray now when there's a chance you get in the playoffs, anything can happen. Get this team in the postseason. Anything can happen, especially when they have the pitching that they have. Personally, going back to what Brandon Warren said with us last week, upgrade the bullpen and let's see what happens. I I don't think you need to make any kind of other play at the trade deadline. 10.50, wrap this thing up on a Tuesday in a moment. Bruce Siski Show, 610-103.9, KDAL. Our American Stories. This is how you do it. Weeknights on KDAL. 10.59. Appreciate you tuning in this morning. Try talking soccer with Jeff Reuter of The Athletic. We're back at it tomorrow. Matthew Collar, Purple Insider, friend of the show, now a published author. We'll preview that. We'll preview Vikings training camp. We'll talk about the Netflix quarterback show and throwback uniforms. A lot to get to on the Vikings. 
Brad Bennett, Kenny up next. Have a great day. This has been the Bruce Siski Show. Hit us up on Twitter at Bruce Siski Show and let us know what you think. No, yes, no, well, no, I, I crossed my mind. Visit KDAL610.com to podcast today's show anytime. What do you say? Listen to shows on demand and download for free. You can also subscribe via Spotify or your favorite podcast app. This has been the Bruce Siski Show. CBS News is up next. For more than 80 years, KDAL 103.9, W28FBFM, and 610 KDAL, Delusive Superior, a Midwest communication station. KDAL.